So, good morning. This stand isn't... There. Sorry about that. Believe me, it was the stand, not... (laughs) More than words. So, we're talking about words uh, this series. And by the way, I hope you guys all enjoyed the uh, Stories from the Sea series. It's one of my favorite every year, and it's definitely one of my kids' favorite every year, to hear that God is still working and still alive and still has power uh, in, in people's lives today. It's just uh, always fun. But now we're in a new series, and this series is called More Than Words. I didn't know that that was the name. That's awesome. Uh, I had opportunity to know that. I just chose not to take it. Um, and so we're going to be talking about uh, phrases and words that should be fundamental, should be basic in the faith. Uh, but, but a lot of them are, um, if you didn't grow up in the faith, they still could be confusing. I, I, I happen to notice as a visitor to you guys, um, Purple Park. That would be, uh, where's Purple Park? I have no idea what you guys are talking about. And that's the same kind of thing that people who are trying to come into the faith, uh, we use words and phrases uh, all the time that they, they might not have any idea what it means. What is Purple Park? What is, what is grace? What is redemption? Um, what are words and deeds, uh, as you saw in the video? Um, so we're going to be talking about these, what should be basic words, but uh, in a lot of cases, and in the case today with grace, a, a basic fundamental of faith, and it's still really hard to understand. I mean, I've read many books about grace, and I still have lots to learn about grace. So it's a simple word, but um, lots to do, lots to unpack. Um, one of the words is kingdom. They wouldn't let me take it. I'll just tell you that right now. It disappoints me. Um, if you know, I love to teach about that. It's my favorite topic. I'm going to try to stay away from it today because they wouldn't let me take it. Um, grace. So uh, before I get there, uh, if you have a Bible, start looking for uh, Genesis 12. It's pretty easy to find, but I'm just giving you a head start that's going to come up later uh, in the thing here. Um, I love to be around water. I have a cabin that's on the Cedar River, and I just absolutely love to be around the water, and especially in these last few days when it's finally a little bit warm and I can sit out on the deck and I can just watch, and the water is just flying by right now because uh, the river's a little bit high, and um, I just love watching. I love getting my kayak out there and going out. And, and I think something about the, the power of it, the unstoppable nature of it. If you ever go to um, uh, Niagara Falls, right? I mean, just how much water has been coming over that forever is never going to stop. There's so much water. Where does it all come from? I have no idea. Uh, but I just love being around water, the power, the unpredictability. Um, uh, and then, so it, it doesn't sort of come as a surprise that back in 2003, when the, I think it's 2003, uh, when the tsunami hit Japan, I was just kind of glued to my, my uh, computer screen, the internet, uh, uh, because there was so much water coming across and there was so much power in that. You have the ocean, which has a little bit of water in it, and the ocean just kind of goes up. <laughs> in one place, it was 39 meters that the ocean went up. And, the, and then just the power of that water flowing ashore. You always think tsunami, when you think tsunami, you think like this wave that's 39 meters straight wall and it's going to curl. That's not how it works. It's just like, more like the ocean just goes and, and just comes across. I have this video right now of the tsunami in Japan and it's a really odd way to start a church service, but I, I want you to watch this video and uh, that idea is also going to come back later. Accelerate 
gas and electrical faults caused by the earthquake set off fires. But as the debris is piled high, the flames ride on the water as it presses forwards on its relentless journey of destruction. boat and a semi-truck in the same section of wave is not something you see every day. Uh, so anyway, just great amounts of power. First were released by this earthquake um, that was offshore, uh, and then it just it moved this huge amount of water. We're going to come back to that. We're going to now look at grace. So like as I said, grace, um, grace is this really fundamental idea of our faith. Without grace, none of it happens. None of it works. Um, but still, how do we understand it? If you start just looking up the word grace in the Bible, it seems like the word grace is used in all these different ways. And so it's hard to get your mind around it. Um, and like I said, I've read several books about it, but the best definition of grace that I've ever heard was one that I heard at Orchard Hill. And I, and I just wish I could remember which teacher it was. I don't remember who it was, but I, I clearly remember the definition. Um, and it's one that I think we adopted as a church then uh, because it was so good. And, and the reason it's good, I think, is because it's a comparative def- definition. It compares grace to other things. Uh, and here, here's how it starts. The first thing is says uh, justice is getting what you deserve. Justice is getting what you deserve. This is a this is a really easy thing for us to understand. And I think our brains, in a way, are tuned to liking this idea. We like the idea of justice. Someone should get what they deserve, right? If someone goes out and does something wrong, then they should be punished. That's just how it should work. Our brains really like this idea. Um, it's kind of a fairness idea. Things should be fair. If you do, if you break the rules, you get punished. That's how it works. Um, the, the story I want to use uh, throughout these three is a, guy, a kid takes his dad's car um, uh, and he goes out and he crashes it. It's a brand new, brand new car. He borrows it and he, and he crashes it and he brings it home. Justice is his dad punishes him. And he shouldn't have taken the car. He shouldn't have crashed the car. He shouldn't have been careless. He, he brings the car home and his dad says, wow, that was not right. You're going to now work the rest of your life working off this car that you, that you owe me. You're going to be doing all kinds of chores and you're going to build up little amounts of money and give it all to me. And eventually, when you're 80 years old, you will have paid off this car. Right? That's justice. And there's something about us, like I said, that we just like that. I mean, that's how it should work. If you do something wrong, you get punished for it. Justice. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. You take your dad's car, you go out and you crash it and you come home and he shows you mercy. He says, son, because I love you so much, I understand that you, you didn't do this to hurt me. You weren't trying to, trying to do this. You, you, uh, so I'm going to show you mercy. I'm not going to punish you for this, for this problem. I am going to, out of my love, I, I'm just going to let it go. I, you don't have a car to drive now for a long time, but, but I'm not going to punish you. I'm going to show you mercy. Mercy, when we start to think about mercy, we understand that it usually comes out of a center of love or compassion for the other person. I know you deserve this justice, but, but I have so much compassion for you that I'm going to show you mercy. There's a lot of places in the Bible where people are begging God for mercy. God, have mercy on my soul. I know I deserve uh, punishment, but please have mercy. Withhold your judgment from me. Uh, Psalms will talk about that a lot. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace 
is getting what you don't deserve. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. You take your dad's car, you, brought, you uh, go out and you wreck it. And you come back and you're, and you're saying, Dad, I don't know how to tell you this, but I've wrecked your new car. And your dad goes out and buys another new car. And he brings it home and he says, son, here's the keys. You can share it again. You can drive it again. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. And it gives us different kind of feeling. It gives us this feeling of, of total humility. I mean, a lot of us are tempted to think, no, no. If you show grace, what's going to happen is people are going to start taking advantage of you. That could happen, especially with people who are bent towards that way. But what grace does in, in a person who really understands the value of the gift is grace brings this level of humility, this level of cr- contrition that justice and mercy don't tend to bring. Oh man, Dad, I, I can't believe what you just did for me. I can't believe that at huge expense to yourself, you went out and replaced that thing and gave me a second chance. And this is what we have. This is what we all are faced with is a God of grace. A God who said, okay, I created a system. I created the world and I created it really good. And I created it so that it was going to work together. And you guys wrecked it. You guys, in your selfishness, decided that the system I made wasn't good enough for you. Wasn't, wasn't, uh, wasn't aimed directly enough at you. You decided that you were going to create your own way of doing things. Your own kingdom. You decided this world was going to be about you. And it wrecked it all. And I'm going to restore it and rebuild it and have you be a part of it. I'm going to build a new earth. And I'm going to make you a part of it. This is a gift that we don't deserve. This is a gift that brings uh, to my feeling, my shoulders, humility and contrition. When I, when I really feel the weight of it, I feel like I need to get on my knees and say, that's, that's more than I deserve. This is God giving us a second chance. So one effect, I, I think it's interesting as a way of defining grace to understand the effects that grace has. One effect that grace has is this effect of humility and contrition. A second effect that grace has um, is one that I was taught by my dad um, when I was a young adult. My dad was a really great teacher. He, he, he really understood how to use metaphor. And so he said, son, <laughs> he didn't really talk like that, but I like to think of that. Son, this is how grace works. He said, it's, it's like a rope. It's like God um, gave you a command. Your life's mission, your life's work that God is commanding you to do is to run across this rope and, and grab something on the other side and bring it back. And you're going to do that over and over. You're going to, for God, you're going to run across a rope and, and bring it back. And the rope is strung across a canyon. I have a picture of that. The rope is strung across a canyon. Okay? And it's still your job. God says, go for it. Do it. And we uh, are understandably a bit tentative. <laughs> this is a hard thing you've asked me to do, God. And then my dad said, but right before you step on, God says, wait, 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 wait. Grace takes the rope and moves it onto the ground. The, the rule doesn't change. Your job is still to run across the rope and get something and bring it back. But now the rope is, is if I had just strung this rope uh, up one of these aisles. And your job is the same. But the rope's laying on the ground. See, son, grace 
has the effect of producing freedom. Paul said it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. And that's because it's Paul, and I'm going to say something later that's Paul, it's hard to understand. I mean, Paul, Paul is awesome, but in a way that makes you like, I really have to think about it. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Well, my dad says, here's how you can picture that. Lay the rope on the ground. Now, now you have all kinds of freedom. Now you have all kinds of uh, ability to go do it. Now, now it's not scary for you to do exactly what God asked for you to do. Run down the rope, grab the thing, run back. Jesus told this parable of, uh, of the men with the talents. You remember it? The three guys get three different amounts of money and then the, and then the, um, and then the landlord or the boss leaves. And when he comes back, he says, hey, what'd you do with the money? And one of them had made a bunch and one of them had made a bunch and one of them had buried it in the ground. And the one who buried it in the ground said, hey, why I buried it in the ground was because I was scared of you. I was scared that when you came back and if I had squandered that money, if I had invested it in something and that investment failed, then you would punish me. You would give me justice because that's what I deserved. I did something and I made a mistake and, and now I deserve justice. Or at least maybe you would have given me mercy, um, but I still would have known that you were fuming with, with rage because I had squandered your gift. And the point of the story is, nah, nah. The rope's laying on the ground. Do you understand the depth of grace? Do you understand what I have done for you and that I, and that I would do it again? I love you to the point that you are not going to fail in a way that I'm not loving you anymore. You, you could walk away from me and I still love you. My mission for you is to run down the rope, grab the thing and come back. But the rope is on the ground. You can't fail. You can't fail. I love you that much. So, number two is, grace gives me freedom. Grace gives me this idea that, wait a second, how am I going to, what am I afraid of all the time? How am I going to fail? In what way is this thing going to just come crashing down on me? It's not. It's not. So I can boldly move and do the things that God's asking me to do. A third effect um, is a little bit harder to understand, uh, or I'm going to have to walk us back a little bit. And this is my favorite one. Uh, and here's why it's my favorite. In, um, in the fall, we decided that it was all about us, right? We decided that this world should be about us. This is selfish motivation at its heart. We acted out of our own self-interest. And then God says, I'm giving you grace and I'm going to restore it all. And then we still kind of understand grace in this selfish way. Most of the time when we talk about grace, what we talk about is what God did for me and how grateful I am about what he did for me. God saved me and I'm grateful for that. God gave me a gift I didn't deserve and I'm grateful for that. I'm humbled by that. Most of the time, all of our understanding about grace is about how it comes at us. It's really ironic to me, I think, that, that selfishness is our fall, and then selfishness is kind of how we understand a lot of our theology. So take this idea, this picture of God giving us something that we don't deserve and what it affects on us, and turn it around and look at it from God's point of view. Not what was God doing for me, but what was God doing? What was God doing when He unleashed grace on the world? So... Um, Let's just, I, for this, I have to get a bit of a running start. I got to go back to Genesis. So here's what's happened so far in the book of Genesis. So far, Genesis shows us that God created a system, that we wrecked the system in our fail. Um, and then God came in and says, ah, things are wrecked. Things are not, never going to be the same. The next story is Cain and Abel. 
It's trying to say to us, things weren't the same. Things went bad. Uh, the next story is Noah. What's it trying to say to us? The world went bad. <laughs> things went wrong. And God said, this has to be fixed. The next story is about the Tower of Babel. What's it trying to say to us? The world's still wrong. People are still acting selfishly. They build this tower and they say, we don't need God anymore. We're man and we can build towers and the towers can be as tall as we want them to be. Things are still not right. The next story is Abraham. God introduces us to Abraham and it starts at the very end of one chapter, of chapter 11 and, it's, and, it, and the, the, the pronouncement is in the beginning of chapter 12. Listen, guys. Abraham is just a guy. He's just a dude. It's just like God's looking over the earth and, 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 and says, Abraham, come here. This is what I'm going to do. Genesis 12 says, The Lord said to Abraham, actually his name is Abram at this point, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now listen to this. This is God's pronouncement of what he's doing. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. All the people on the earth will be blessed through you. This, in the Bible, is the earthquake. This is the, 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 the magnitude 9 earthquake that happens off the shore of Japan. It's about to change everything. God comes to the earth and he says, Abram, I'm going to do something through you. I am going to bless you. It's not called grace yet. It's called bless at this point. I'm going to give you something you don't deserve. You're, you're, I'm not picking you because you're the one guy who's absolutely still doing everything right. I'm picking you because I'm picking you. You are Abram. I am going to bless you. I am going to change the entire makeup of the world. By the time he gets to the end of this little, uh, little poem, he says, and I will bless the entire world through you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Uh, another way of understanding that is, the people who are with me are going to continue to get my grace. The people who are not with me are going to be just knocked down, right? This tsunami is going to come over the earth. It, the people who ride with it will go with it. The people who try to stand against it will be knocked down. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I will win. I'm just wanna, I just want to let you know, I will win. And eventually, I will bless the entire world from this one starting point, from this one earthquake spot. I will cover the earth. So God says, this is what I'm going to do. And then he starts telling them, here's how you should behave. Here's how you should act in order to come with me. Don't resist. Come with me. And we are going to change the world. And he starts giving them commands. It sounds like, ah, wah, wah, right? Okay, I'm going to bless the world through you and here's my commands. But, but, but listen to this. The word command in the Hebrew is mitzvah. I'm going to, here's the mitzvah of the Lord. And it has this wonderful two-sidedness to it. On the one side, it is command. It mostly gets translated as command. This is the command I give to you. This is the mitzvah I give for you. But on the other side, what it means is the way I'm going to bless the world, the blessings of God, the good deeds of God. The mitzvot today are still understood by the Jewish people as the way in which we are going to bless the world. The mitzvot, it's like saying act of kindness. 
the, you know, the movement right now that's 26 acts of, acts of kindness or, or any of the other movements that are about acts of kindness. The Jews would call that the mitzvah, the acts of kindness that we're showing to the world. It's got this wonderful two-sidedness to it. And if you start really looking into the commands of God with those eyes, you can start to see that the two-sidedness was there all the way from the beginning. Look at it in Deuteronomy 24, which is not a place you look very often because it's Deuteronomy. I mean, it's, it's the commands of God. And sometimes we feel like, oh. Deuteronomy 24, when you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to it. Leave it for the alien and the fatherless and the widow so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, don't go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the alien and the fatherless and the widow. When you harvest your grapes in your vineyard, don't go over the grapes again, the vines again. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Do you see it? It's so obvious, right? Here's what you are supposed to do. When you harvest, don't re-harvest. Leave, a, leave, leave these uh, rows around the edges of your field. All these very specific commands. But then just in this example, it's more obvious than in some other examples. Leave them for the alien, the widow, the orphan. What's the command doing? Blessing the world. Giving them something they don't deserve. <laughs> giving them grace. Okay? Now, um, here's another one in Deuteronomy. He's talking about the tithe. <laughs> right? One that there's nothing fun about, right? I mean, we just took our offering, our, our tithe, our, 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 the command that we give back to God. But look at how uh, toward the end of this idea of the tithe, we see this Deuteronomy 26. Then, then you will say to the Lord, after you've done your duty, after you've committed your tenth uh, to God, the mitzvah has been accomplished. Then you will say to the Lord, I have removed from my house a sacred portion and I've given it to the Levite, the alien, the fatherless, the widow, according to all that you've commanded. I have not turned aside from your commands, your mitzvah, nor I have forgotten any of them. The, the commands of God were this wonderful thing that was blessing the earth through these people who were being blessed. All right, now we're going to forward a little bit into the, into the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts is uh, Jesus has come and gone, and he, and he has left behind his spirit, and he's left behind his teaching, and he's left behind this group of people who are really on fire for God, really on fire for changing the world. And so we see in them this model of how the church is about to explode and cover the, cover the earth. And in Acts, if you look up the word grace, you start to see that the word grace in Acts is used in this wonderfully double-sided uh, uh, way. Acts, 20, Acts 6. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, he's full of God's grace and power did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people because he was full of grace he was doing wonders right he was changing the world because he was full of grace acts eleven twenty three. when he arrived he saw the evidence of the grace of god now stop what is the evidence of the grace of god if you are just thinking about grace as the thing that god did for me that i am super humble and, and excited about and and, and, and i and I, I uh thank god for this thing that he did for me the evidence of the grace of god might just be a smile right but i don't think that's what Acts is talking about i don't think it says he walked into the town and he said wow you guys are smiley i i really don't think that's what it was i think these people had gotten the grace of god and they were changing the community that they lived in so when a traveler walks into their town, he says, whoa, what's up with this town? 
This town, people are helping each other. This town, people are empathetic about each other. This town, people are passionate about making each other's lives good. This town, people have taken this blessing that they got from God and they are blessing others with it. So he walks into the town and he sees evidence of the grace of God and he was glad and he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Remain true, right? It's like saying, continue in the mitzvah. Continue doing the commands of God. Remain true. Keep doing what you're doing. I love seeing this evidence of what you've done. Acts 13, 43. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. Continue in the grace of God. What does that mean? See, if you just think of the grace in, in the first kind of ways that I talked about it, like it, uh, it's putting the rope on the ground and, and I can never do something that goes wrong. Well, how do I have to continue? There's nothing I have to do to continue in that. It is forever. I love understanding grace as the thing that will not stop. I can't do anything to make it stop. Uh, um, but, but Paul says, continue in the grace of God continue in it he's obviously got to be talking about some other aspect of grace and and to me it's obvious that he's talking about continue in the mitzvah continue doing these good things to the people around you x 14 3 so paul and barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs again it's not just something that came to them and they're on their knees and they're thankful for it. It's that and more. He confirms the grace that's in them by enabling them to do miraculous things. So, here's my, here's my uh, understanding. First of all, I want to say the definition of grace I still, uh, that we started with, I think that's one of the main things you should remember. Uh, justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace is getting what you don't deserve. If you can remember one thing, I would love you to remember that. Um, And the response to that is humility and contrition. And when I understand that I got something I didn't deserve, my response is humility and contrition. Second thing, remember, grace is the act of moving the rope to the ground. Grace is this thing that is so uh, deep and wide and so unchangeable that God is saying to you, I love you in this way. I love you in the way that even if you wreck something, even if you crash the earth, I will fix it. I will come in and restore things. Now have faith. Have understanding that that's the kind of God I am. And, and run and do the work that I've asked you to do. And, but third, the thing I'm most excited about today is don't understand, them, understand grace just in this way of what came down to me. Understand the grace in this way of what was God up to? What was God doing when He sent us grace? And here's what I think. I think God was up to changing the world i think he he sent an earthquake to abraham and he said now this tsunami has gotten started and it is going to cover the earth and you guys are going to be a part of it this grace is going to wash over you and you're going to say yes thank you as you're flying downstream and and changing the earth and washing over things and 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 hell will not be able to resist it it will be able to resist it for a while but god says i'm going to bless those who bless you and i'm going to curse those who curse you in the end, all of the world will be affected by you, will be blessed by you. And so for me, that third thing, the first thing gives me is humility, the second thing is freedom, and the third thing is action. It makes me just want to want to go out and help God change the world, figure out what He's doing, where the wave is moving, and help with it. So, 
I'm hoping you can understand uh, this one little simple word, grace, uh, in some slightly bigger depth. I'm going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, first, thanks. Thanks, thanks. Grace is so overwhelming sometimes. Sometimes it is appropriate for us to sit in our rooms and get down on our knees and, and, and uh, bow our heads and say, wow, I don't deserve this. Who you are and wh- what you're doing for us and what, at what price, at the expense of your son, his blood shed for us, for us, who absolutely don't deserve it. Sometimes we just need to get on our knees and say, thank you, God. But I want to confess that I, and I'm guessing some other people in this room, just stop there sometimes and and stay in our rooms. I pray that you help us see what you're doing in a bigger picture. That grace is amazing and wasn't just bestowed on us, that it was bestowed on the earth. That you have a desire to come and fix it all. Not just me. So I pray that we can rise from our knees sometimes and walk out and look at look around us and see where your grace is needed and be dispensers of it, be blessers of the world. Amen.